Again, at Genesis 12, verse 2, the second half of that verse, God tells Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You know, God blessed Abraham, not so that Abraham could simply consume the blessing of God for himself, but rather God blessed Abraham so that Abraham would be a blessing to others. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. To see how we have been blessed to be a blessing, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 5. It's where we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. You were with us last Sunday. You know we began this new journey in Matthew 5. Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. Even non-believers uh, recognize the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you may remember last Sunday we talked about the fact that Mahatma Gandhi, who was a Hindu his entire life, was impressed with the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the non-violent teachings of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount were used by Mahatma Gandhi to help lead India out of uh, uh, control from England. And as we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by offering words of, of blessing. And if you remember last Sunday, if you didn't see the sermon, you can download it online. But we talked about the people who had come to hear the Sermon on the Mount were not the who's who of Israel. They were not uh, the elite, religious elite of Jerusalem. They were the broken. They were the hurting they were the paralyzed. They were the demon-possessed. And we read in Matthew 4 that people like these demon-possessed, paralyzed, uh, people struggling with epileptic seizures, the sick, the outcast, had traveled miles and miles from uh, northern Syria and from Judea in the south or from the Decapolis in the east. And they were traveling miles and miles to see Jesus in Galilee. And Jesus would heal every disease. And as he healed these people, he looked at them and he began the Sermon on the Mount with these beautiful words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about what does it mean to be poor in spirit, and I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, translates that first verse of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the message, which is his English translation, Matthew 5, 3. Read it with me if you could. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. If you haven't picked up one of these uh, uh, bookmarks. We've got them in the narthex on the back table there. We're inviting everyone in our church to join us in this 30-day 30 30 journey through the Sermon on the Mount, reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just three chapters every day for 30 days. And if you miss a day, uh, don't worry about it. Just keep reading. The idea, the goal is to read it 30 times. That's the main thing. Read through the Sermon on the Mount every day, 30 days. As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you will see, as we talked about last week, that the first two blessings you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those are not the kinds of conditions that we necessarily strive for. We don't strive to be poor in spirit. We don't want to be at the end of our rope where we're totally exhausted, but sometimes we will be. We don't strive to mourn, but sometimes we will mourn. But then in the third uh, beatitude, we're given a little more instruction, uh, maybe what some, something we should seek, where he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek, the humble, as Jesus was meek and humble. As followers of Jesus, we should seek to be meek and humble, where like Jesus, we seek to put the needs of others before our own. Jesus demonstrated his humility and his greatest act of humility and putting the needs of others before his own when he died on a cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death, showing us that the victory is ultimately ours, so that when, God, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We know that heaven awaits those who humbly come before God. And that while we mourn today, we will not mourn in the new heaven or the new earth as we talked about in Revelation 21. Yes, we are blessed by God. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with blessings, words of blessing before he moves us to instruction on how we should behave. God loves us and he blesses us. And then in response to those blessings, we seek to live our lives. To see how we have been blessed to be a blessing, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be picking up in verse 6, Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. It may be found on page 1029 of your Red Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired Matthew to put pen to parchment that we might have your written word today, this powerful sermon that still challenges all of us in different ways. God, I pray that as we read these words, these familiar words, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. Again, it's on page 1029 of your Red Pew Bible. Listen to God's word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look again at uh, that opening beatitude, blessing, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What do you hunger and thirst for today? I know it's 11, 12. Maybe you're hungry for lunch or brunch. Maybe you didn't get breakfast. What do you hunger and thirst for today? If you're like many Americans, you may hunger or long for, you know, financial stability. Uh, Inflation is high. It's up to over 9%, the highest it's been in over 40 years. Gas prices still remain pretty high. Food prices are high because of supply chain issues involving Russia's war with Ukraine. Uh, There's a lot of anxiety. And as inflation rises, of course, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, which makes borrowing more expensive. And so mortgage rates are going up and rent can go up. And everything's getting just a a little more expensive. And as things get more expensive, we can become just a, a little more anxious. We long for financial stability sometimes, don't we? Or maybe you're longing for, you know, success or significance or romance. Or maybe you long for, you know, good health or good looks, or good relationships. What do you long for today? What are we longing for? Well, it's interesting, the Greek words here uh, that, G- that Jesus uses and Matthew writes down, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. This isn't like hungry, like, yeah, I could eat. No, it's like hungry, like, I gotta eat. 
If you've ever been outside for an extended period of time and done some you know, serious physical activity, maybe playing football or soccer, or maybe you're gardening outside for hours in the middle of the heat, or maybe going a long hike or a long run, you know, you're, you're drenched in sweat and you know you're losing electrolytes and you know that if you don't drink some water or some Gatorade pretty quick, you may pass out, have a heat stroke and even die. That's what he's talking about. You thunger, hunger and thirst. If you don't get this food, if you don't get this feeling, this longing met, you, you think you might perish. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for food, but for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness exactly? Well, John Stott astutely points out that in the New Testament, the word righteousness, the Greek word for righteousness, really has three meanings. Uh, There's a legal meaning, there's a moral meaning, and there's a social meaning. A legal meaning, this idea of being justified. I want to be in a right relationship with God. And when Paul writes his letters to the house, church, house churches in Rome or to the, house, to the churches in Galatia. When he talks about the righteousness of God or being right, righteous, right relationship with God, he's talking about being justified before God. There's a sense of this legal relationship because we're all sinners. And according to our sin, the just punishment for our sin is death. But God in his great love sends his son to pay the price for our sins so that our slate might be washed clean, that we might be in a right relationship with God. We see this articulated best in Romans chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, when Paul, writing to the house churches in Rome, writes this, but now the righteousness of God, so this is the justice of God, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So it's not about what you do, it's about what God has done. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So when I put my faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God is imputed or given to me so that my account is shown to be clean before God's eyes. Jesus lived in perfect obedience. He paid the price for my sins so that I might be in a right relationship with God. For all have sinned, uh, sorry, there's no distinction. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, God's justice, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." As we think about the Sermon on the Mount and the people who showed up that day to be healed by Jesus, to hear Jesus' teaching, these were the people who had been rejected by the elite, the religious elite of Jerusalem. You may remember last week we looked at that passage in Leviticus that talks about no one with a, a blemish may be able to offer a sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. All those who were paralyzed or demon possessed or struggling were not welcomed into the temple in Jerusalem. And so these people have come desperate, looking for a word of hope, a word of encouragement. And Jesus tells these broken people after he heals them, you are blessed. The kingdom of God is for you. And he lets them know that they can be right with God. They'll certainly turn to him. Yes, righteousness in this understanding of a legal perspective is about being in a right relationship with God because our sins have been atoned for through Jesus Christ. And in light of that righteousness, we're moved to live rightly or have that moral understanding of the righteousness of God, 
which is what uh, Matthew tends to emphasize in his teaching. This idea that in gratitude for God's love, we, we seek to live in a right way. Yes, we love God for what he's done for us, and then we seek to love our neighbor. Or as the next beatitude says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right living leads to mercy. When you know that you're in a right relationship with God, then in gratitude for that love and that relationship, you begin to love the things that God loves, which are people, for we've all been created in God's image. So that when we see someone in need, we want to help minister to that need. We want to do what we can to help the person who's struggling. Yes, blessed are the merciful. Those who, in gratitude for God's mercy, are merciful to others. This is illustrated best actually later in the Gospel of Matthew, this idea of this righteous leading to moral living or right living, li leading to merciful acts of service to others. In, uh, towards the end of Matthew, in Matthew 24, Jesus is asked by his apostles, hey, what's it going to be like at the end of days, at the end of time? And he says, well, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, and there's going to be a great rapture. And then he says, and then as a uh, king will, or as a shepherd will separate sheep from the goat, I will separate people from all nations, and some will go to my left, and some will go to my right. You may remember the story, it's in Matthew 25, actually. He talks about the judgment that will be coming for those who are on the left, and the rejoicing that will come for those on the right. He says it this way in Matthew 25, 34 to 46. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, as he separated people left and right, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, there's that word, righteous, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty? And give you drink. These are the righteous. They've been living rightly. They've been treating others with mercy. And when, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's a tough text. Frankly, I've never liked it because I'm left-handed. <laughs> and all the bad people go to the left side, right? I mean, what's that all about? Like, why not? You know, I don't understand. I mean, thankfully, I know from the gospel that my salvation is not dependent on my dominant hand. But I don't like the fact that all the people on the left side get thrown, thrown into the eternal fire. But notice the people on the right side who did the right thing they didn't do the right thing in order to do it for Jesus or to earn points with God. They didn't even know it was Jesus they were serving. Now they were merciful simply because they're the kind of people who show mercy and gratitude for the mercy they've received from God. 
as they offer specific things like food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothes to the naked. You know, they're living out the mercy of God, not to earn points, but simply in gratitude for God's love for them. They didn't know it was Jesus they were serving. But as they serve, they grow. They grow in, 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 in their knowledge of God's presence who's constantly with them. And as John Stott points out, you know, there's the legal righteousness, there's the moral righteousness, which would lead me to be merciful to my neighbor, and there's the social righteousness. As I begin to care for my neighbor, I become concerned with my community as a whole. I begin to want everyone to have bread and, and drink and clothes and, and not to suffer. I remember uh, on Thursday I had lunch with the pastors of the 4 Amarillo Church, uh, Howie Batson at First Baptist, Leslie Broadbent over at uh, Polk Street United, United Methodist, and then uh, Mick, whose last name I can't pronounce, he's the new guy at Central Church of Christ, great guy. And we were talking to Mick about the 4 Amarillo Partnership. And Howie Batts and I were explaining that, you know, we've begun to do in-town mission projects the, the last week of June every year. And as we were sharing with him, uh, we pointed out that you know, this last week, uh, this last summer, uh, we did a vacation Bible school at San Jacinto Elementary where we invited people from the neighborhood to come for a free meal. We fed the families, and then we had the kids do some fun games and provide, you know, kind of a gospel story and little Bible stories to help them understand that God loved them and they had a, God had a plan for them. We talked about other things we've done, like we did the downtown women's center apartments, the Gratitude House, which are just right across the parking lot from us, and how we refurbished all of those, and we, uh, people volunteered and gave uh, different furniture to furnish those house, those uh, apartments for the downtown women's center. We talked about the fact that, you know, we've been involved with Heal the City, which is the free medical clinic uh, started by own, our own Dr. Keister, and how members of our church all volunteer there. It's in the San Jacinto neighborhood as well. And then we talked about, you know, one of our first projects was we refurbished this house that's in, uh, near Polk Street United Methodist. And as we were refurbishing the house, I actually missed a meeting. And because I missed a meeting, we got assigned the kitchen. So I told Mick, don't miss meetings because you get assigned the most expensive room. So anyway, uh, but it was great. And we've been talking about, you know, our desire as a church is to collaborate together to make Amarillo a better place. The righteousness of God is revealed when the body of Christ can work together to make this world a better place. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We try to point to the mercy of God. We try to grow in a way that we might point others to the love of God. Now how can we grow individually in our mercy muscles? I mean the truth is sometimes we're in a hurry and we're on our way and we see someone begging for money or food or whatever and we just don't have time to help them or we don't think we do. Or we, we get to know a certain situation, we feel like, man, that's too big a problem. I don't have the resources or the ability to fix that problem. I'm going to let someone else handle it. How can we make sure that we're, we're a little more merciful? Well, I believe the next beatitude gives us some direction. Where we read, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart exactly? Well, many years ago, I was telling uh, Garrick over here when I was in seminary, I had a an opportunity to take a, a Bible study with uh, Bruce Metzger. Bruce Metzger is a premier uh, New Testament scholar. In fact, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, he was one of the many scholars who uh, looked at those ancient manuscripts. In fact, he was the chief editor of the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. And when uh, Lee Strobel was interviewing people for the book, The Case for Christ, he interviewed Bruce Metzger at Princeton Seminary to talk about how can we be sure that these ancient manuscripts are valid and faithful to the original ones, the original copies. 
And so uh, Bruce Metzger was leading this Bible study on this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he pointed out that pure gold is nothing but gold. Pure silver is nothing but silver. To have a pure heart is to have a heart that's focused on the Shema, the most important commandment according to Jesus. We find the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the most important commandment according to Jesus. And of course, we love God because he first loved us. As John writes in his first epistle, 1 John 4, this is love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us and offered his son as a propitiation or atoning sacrifice for all our sins. If God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. As we focus on loving God, then we will naturally begin to focus on loving others. And one of the reasons I've got us going through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, asking you to do that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, 30 days consecutively reading those three chapters, is so that we might meditate on the love of God. Meditate on the Word of God, because the Word of God reveals God's great love for us. I remember uh, earlier in this week, uh, Tuesday was the first day of school for kids in AISD, Emerald Independent School District. And uh, my two younger kids were starting a new year at school here. My daughter Elizabeth was going to be as a sophomore at Emerald High. And my son John was playing football for the first time uh, at Crockett Middle School in the seventh grade. And unfortunately, we signed him up for tackle football last year uh, with Kids, Inc. And he broke his pinky like the first practice. I was like, Lord, don't let that happen again. Give him a good day. You know, Lord, please help us. And so I was a little anxious as I thought about a, a new school year, new classes, new teachers, new friends. And as I was thinking more about what was going on in my life, you know, I, I got a little anxious thinking about the settlement of my parents' estate. You know, we've got a, a hearing with an attorney in a bit. And that got me a little anxious. And then I was thinking about, you know, this month is when all the ministries of our church build budgets and we're trying to plan for next year's ministry and we're starting to think about, you know, what can we afford and we start thinking about inflation and all the things going on in our economy. I got, I got a little anxious. Anybody ever get a little anxious every now and then, somebody? Okay, a few of us, okay. Well, when you do get anxious, the Sermon on the Mount's a great place to go because as I was in the Sermon on the Mount, I turned to Matthew 6 as a part of my daily reading and I read these words where Jesus says, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's that word again, righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As I read these words, I thought Jesus is calling me not to be worried about unex uh, uncontrolled things in the future, but just to seek first his kingdom and his 
righteousness. As I think about the righteousness of God that's been imputed to me, that legal righteousness, it leads me to want to act and be merciful to others, that moral righteousness. It leads me to want to seek the right living for our city and our community here today. Yes, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you won't be anxious because you'll be reminded how God has always provided for you and me in the past. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then we'll have a, a pure heart that allows us to see God in the eyes and the faces of those who are needy among us. Mother Teresa often talks about as she has ministered to the poorest of the poor in India, she has seen the face of Jesus in those who are in time of need. As Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Yes, if we will focus on seeking first the kingdom of God, we'll have a pure heart and we will see God. We'll be people of mercy and we'll be people of peace. Notice the next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice that it says peacemakers, not peacekeepers. The inclination for all of us is just to simply keep the peace. And if there's ever conflict, we'll we'll just try to avoid that, right? Just get away from that. But if you continue to read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see Jesus says that if someone has a charge against you, if you're in conflict with somebody, before you go to worship, before you offer your sacrifice at the altar, you actually should, should go to be reconciled to that person. Peacemaking requires an effort in our part. It, it requires work. It requires humility. As we talked about last week, blessed are the meek, the humble. They'll inherit the earth. So if I'm in conflict with someone, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to humble myself, be meek. And then as Jesus tells us later in Matthew 7, the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount, that I should take the log out of my own eye before I look at the speck in my brother's eye. I need to think about how has this conflict been created? And what have I done to contribute to this conflict? And I need to apologize for whatever I can, whatever I did that may have offended this person or made this conflict be created or, or amped it up, whatever it is. I need to take the log out of my eye. I need to humble myself and seek to make peace with my brothers. For it's when we live in peace with each other We, as the body of Christ, point to the divinity of Jesus. You may remember in John 17, as Jesus is praying for all those who are going to believe through the testimony of his disciples, he doesn't pray for our health, our wealth, or our prosperity. He prays for our unity. He says, I pray that they may be one as we are one. By this, all will know that Jesus is from the Father if we are one together. When Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Church of Christ work together, It points to the divinity of Christ, the reign of Christ in all of our lives together. Yes, if we humble ourselves and seek first his kingdom, we'll have a pure heart and we'll be people of mercy and we'll be people of peace. And then finally, as we get to the last beatitude, we'll see that it doesn't mean life's gonna be easy though. For in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that the blessing of the last beatitude here in verse 10 and the blessing of the the first beatitude is the same. It's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that word again, righteousness' sake. What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, there's only one who is really righteous, and that's Jesus, the righteous one who was without sin. And we follow Jesus like the disciples followed Jesus, faithfully, boldly. We may, in fact, be persecuted. 
In fact, notice that the last two verses of our text this morning, the, the uh, object changes from third person plural to second person plural. Here's how you would read it in West Texas. Blessed are y'all when others revile y'all and persecute y'all and utter all kinds of evil against y'all falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your rewards. Y'all's rewards is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before y'all. You know, as Jesus said these words, we know from earlier in Matthew 4, he's already recruited Peter, James, John, and Andrew to follow him. And when he says, blessed are you all, when you're reviled and persecuted, I'm pretty sure he looked at James, the apostle, who was the first apostle to be killed by the sword. We read about it in the book of Acts. I'm pretty sure he looked Peter in the eyes that would one day be crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. In fact, history tells us that of the original 12 apostles, 10 of them all died as martyrs for their faith. They were bold in their witness, so bold for their faith in Christ that they actually were willing to, to die because of their faith in Christ. They had every opportunity to recant, to change their minds, to turn away, but they couldn't deny what they had seen. They knew what it meant to be, follow, to be followers of Jesus, and they'd seen Jesus be persecuted for them on a cross. They saw just how much God loves them, not this much, but this much. And on the third day, they had encountered the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. So they knew that this life is not all that there is, that one day they will reign with Christ as we will as we turn our faith and our lives to him. And so they continued to preach boldly the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's love, despite the persecution. May we have the same kind of faith that the apostles did, who live out our faith, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness' sake, to be right with God, to live in a right relationship with others, to make sure that our community reflects the love of God even better, to do what we can to help make this earth more like heaven. May we be the kind of people who, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, knowing that we follow the Prince of Peace. And as we point to the peacemaker, the great peacemaker, Jesus Christ, we may in fact experience persecution, but so did the prophets, so did the apostles. And they did it all because they were so grateful for God's love. As you read Revelation, they, like us, will reign with Christ one day in the new heaven, in the new earth, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, only praise. Yes, may we have the kind of faith that the apostles did, who after hearing these words, did everything they could to live it out. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you. I thank you for the bold faith of the apostles, who even in spite of persecution, continue to be peacemakers, continue to be merciful, continue to do all that they could to be pure in heart, focused on you and you alone, seeking first your kingdom above anything else because we know that your kingdom is eternal and we want to live as citizens in your kingdom today. So God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would guide us to live as your faithful citizens, bearing witness to what it means to live in a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others and doing what we can to make things right in our community today so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.